Hello and welcome to another episode of Film Freaks with a Z, the podcast all about movies. Each episode is about a specific movie, which we'll get to in a little bit. But first, I need to invite you, the listener, to join in on our fan vote. That's right. Every time it's Tay's episode, we do a fan vote, and you can actually recommend us movies for that. So if you have a recommendation, just write it in the comments of this YouTube video, or come over to the Ferret Nation Discord and talk in the movie stuff section there. And you can, uh, or you can uh, send us an email at ff.filmfreaksofthez at the end at gmail.com. Or the more common way is get on the podcast and recommend a movie like a certain someone today might do. <laughs> Speaking of which, let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. I am Yemi the Ferret, and I'm here with Para Waffles and uh, Yuna Kellis. And of course, we got a special guest here today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, I am P2 the Parasite. What's up? Hey, welcome to with I'm us back. again. How you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me back once again. You had to really twist my arm this time, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, P2, the, the thing that's on everyone's mind is, uh, when are we going to see you again? Oh, well, unfortunately, IRL situations have been getting the better of my time. But within the next couple of weeks, I should be, hopefully, making some kind of uh, comeback on this scene. Ooh, all right. Exciting. Exclusive for Film Freaks with a Z. Yes, <laughs> Well, P2, you got a movie for us. You get to introduce it. Go ahead and take it away, sir. Excellent. Well, my uh, probably first episode with you guys, I was very nervous. I was wanted to make sure that I brought the authentic self. And my recommendation for this time is Parasite, the classic released in 2019. Um, a little bit of a back... Um, Kind of information about it before we get started. It's a Korean black comedy thriller directed by Bong Joon-ho. And similar to my previous recommendation with The Good, The Bad, The Weird, it has a commonality with the, the main actor of Song Kang-ho featuring in both. Um, interestingly, before we get to the plot, um, if you've never seen this or have heard this before, it's won so many awards that it was a recommendation that came quite easily, quite naturally to us. So finding out a little bit about it is that it, it won four awards at the 92nd Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best International Feature Film. Alongside this, it became the first South Korean film to receive any recognition from the Academy Awards, which is massive, which shows wow. the stature of this film. Um, not only that, it won the Palm d'Or, which is the Cannes Film Festival top prize, which when I did a bit of research on this, other no notable winners included Fahrenheit 9-11 and Pulp Fiction. So <laughs> take from that what you want. Um, it's also been awarded Golden Globes for Best Foreign Film, um, BAFTAs for the Best Film Not in the English Language, which in my opinion makes it sound like they haven't put enough thought into the title of that category. <laughs> and also the first non-English language film to win Screen Actors Guild for its outstanding performance by a cast in a motion picture. So unsurprisingly, it's been cited as one of the best films of not only the 2010s, the 21st century, but also of all time. So there's quite a lot resting on this. So I'm really looking forward to seeing um, what you all kind of thought of this. So let's get into the plot. 
First of all, we're introduced to the Kim family. They consist of Kim T. Uh, Kim Ki Take, which is he's also known as Mr. Kim. He's the father of the family. We have Kim Chuk Suk, who is the mother, and then they have two children: Kim Ki Woo, who is the son, who we start to learn is, um, is called Kevin, and then we also have Kim Ji Jung, who is the daughter, who we'll come to learn to be known as Jessica. Um, originally, we find that they live in a really poor district in Seoul, working really low-paying jobs and generally struggle for money. That is until one of Kiwoo's friends, a university student called Min Hyuk, pays them a visit and gifts them something called a, scholar, a, rock, a scholar's rock. This, in Korean culture, kind of symbolizes uh, wealth and achieving wealth. Um, and this is where our story kind of takes shape. Uh, Min Hyuk, who is um, going to study abroad, and as such, he says to Kiwoo that he should take over tutoring for a rich family because it's easy money. And more selfishly, he thinks that uh, Kiwoo won't be pandering after the daughter, which is going to be a little bit of a love interest. Um, so uh, weirdly, when he uses the phrase, when she enters university, I'll officially ask, ask her out, which <laughs> makes it sound a little bit seedy, a little bit weird. But um, anyway, Kiwoo goes to take over this role. I guess doctored university papers and a recommendation from his friend. And this is where we're introduced to the other side of the coin, the mirror to our main protagonists, which are the Park family. Uh, we have Park Ding, uh, Dong Ik, who's also known as Nathan, the father of the family. We have Choi Yeng Gyo, who is the mother, also known as Madam. And then they have two children, one which I'm assuming is late teenage years of Park Dehir, who is the um, daughter being tutored. And then they have a younger son called Park De Song, who is the younger boy. Um, we see other characters in terms of that, but eventually both sides of the coin and both sides of their wealth and status in society become parasitically enmeshed. And this is where our story really takes place. So that's my little intro. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah, beautiful. Intro. Very well done. That was amazing. So yeah, thoughts so far. What have, uh, what did, what was your first kind of, uh, impressions of the uh, opening lineup? Yeah, I, I went into this with no knowledge, only knowing that it was a lot of people's favorite movies in 2019 and that it won a lot of awards, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously there's, you know, there's a lot riding on that, you know, and I didn't want to go in with expectations, which I kind of do just because of the buzz that this movie generated. And it starts off um, kind of in a weird, I guess not really a weird place, but it starts off and you're like, what is going to happen mm -hmm. here? You know, it's it's the mm -hmm. it's the feeling of like, why what what's going on here why is why is she taking off her panties why is he doing this <laughs> and then once yeah. it starts going it's like oh and then yeah. you, get, you get the oh moment and that's when i really uh really started to enjoy the movie it was kind of like i don't know when that started going I, I, it's not like i was not enjoying the movie at the beginning but i it was just one it was totally. part of like the wonder of like how is this related to the title of the movie? Mm -hmm. And how is this all going to, like, how, what's going to happen, you know? Totally. Like, luckily for me, this is the second full time that I've, like, watched it. And when you first watch it, you, you go along with the twists and turns. There's so many things you don't see coming. There's so many things that, like, really take you in that kind of suspenseful moment. Um, so many things that kind of don't make sense. So from my perspective, kind of coming back into this and watching it a second time, it's similar to um, other films like Fight Club, where you sort of see the hidden messages, the you know the, the hidden little tokens, the Easter eggs, etc. And um, you can sort of see it in a completely different light. But um, just saying, like, 
I've really loved watching this film again. And I still, even though I knew what was going to come and what was going to happen, um, it still massively added that tension, that kind of palpitation that you feel with, oh my God, what's going to happen here? Are they going to get out of this situation, you know? You know, it was also my second time watching this. And yeah, I completely agree. Like watching this for the second time, like just knowing what has happened has allowed me to like see so many different things. Like when, you know, when you see the girl in the, in the, in the car, like riding back and like mm-hmm. before she took out her panties, you can see her face changing. Like, Oh, like that's when she got the idea to, you know, yeah. maybe implant something. And you could just see so many like little details that, you know, that I obviously missed the first time around. Totally. So it's definitely a great movie for a second watch. And yeah, it was the my first watch. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, it was my first watch. And, you know, kind of like starting the movie, I was like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I understood right away, you know, they're you know, a little on the poor end. And the living situation is not that good. I understand stood that part. But even like looking at the cover, like I looked up like, like the, mm. uh, the bio or, you know, like a synopsis of it. And like P two, you should just type it out because that should be the synopsis. That's how beautiful <laughs> it was. Um, but really, like you didn't understand. Like I'm like looking. I was like, okay, what am I getting myself into? But like you guys said, you know, you kind of pick up on it. You know, within you know like ten, fifteen minutes of the movie. I I just love how layered the whole film is. Um, I love the fact that you can look at it from so many different standpoints. Obviously, the main kind of focus of it is the gender divide it's the class divide it's the wealth divide and i was saying that it's so beautifully shot that everything kind of merges well together and one of the notes i kind of you know made a a big point of was sometimes you get these movies where every single person cast is like the perfect person for the role they become like so um indistinguishable from the character that they're playing that you you believe that that's who they are, you know, fully. Um, And even from the the very get-go is you notice that they are below street level, which not only signifies their position in class, but also in terms of where they are in terms of their status. And I I just like that in in every kind of facet that you look at, once you kind of identify those features, you see them scattered throughout the movie. And... Like you said, if you saw like the cover for this film, it doesn't give you any kind of like clues. <laughs> um, and I think that that's kind of like the main kind of focus behind it is that there seems to always have this notion of something lurking beneath. That's a great point. And I was just now thinking of that one line where they mentioned how like roaches scatter when the lights turn on. And, you mm. know, eventually that's exactly what happens when yeah. you know they're all in the house and then they find out that the family's coming back. But mm-hmm. I guess I'm getting a little bit way ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh the bring it back, I guess. I, I really um I, I love the framing of pretty much all the shots in this movie, you know, especially um you know, right at the beginning you have that wonderful scene where Kevin is talking to his friend and there's just like stuff going on in the background, the truck drives by, you know, it's framed really well. And it just, it just seems like the movie just seems so real, you know, yeah, like yeah. the the dialogue and how the characters are interacting with each other, like from the get go, it's just it just feels so real and rooted in in, in reality. It, it's it's very wonderfully written. I, I completely agree. I think that um, all of the m- kind of components, the very subtle music 
You know, there's nothing that is like in your face, mm. alarming, but there's very much like a very a consistent approach to it. The dialogue is incredible. The, the way yeah. that the lines are delivered are just extraordinary. And when I was kind of going through like my notes and things, the, I, I know that it's 132 minutes, which for a film is a very long time to try and sit through. But I found myself having like, you know, going through the entire process. It took me about three hours because of how much I was stopping the film to make notes on things, you know, direct quotes and stuff like that because of how hard hitting they are. Um, and I just think that the way that everything is kind of, you know, woven together is so well done. You can see why it's got this kind of, um, you know, approach and thought about it. And you could see that with the other movie that we watched by Bong Joon-ho as well. We we watched Snowpiercer, which mm. um, was pretty early on in um, in the Film Freak's repertoire of movies. Um, but I remember that one, like... I really, really enjoyed that one. I gave that one a five out of five. And that I was like, oh, this is probably Bong Joon-ho's best movie. And then, you know, Parasite came out and everyone's like, oh, my God, this is it. This is the th- yeah. this is the new one. And I'm like, oh, OK. Um, I probably should have watched it back then. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, it just went on my back burner for a while. I think I, I kind of stumbled into it the first time that I watched it because that was obviously during the time of lockdown and when the world was an entirely different place. Right. Um, but like you said, I think it's it has one of those movies where it's it's timeless in its approach in the modern era because it fits in in any society, in any realm, and it kind of shows how real and, and situational this is that, you know, depending on circumstances and environmental impacts, anything is possible for this to happen. And I think that's what made it so suspenseful throughout. And um, kind of as we, we kind of underline like how many layers this movie has from the title alone, that when you consider how the family attached themselves literally and metaphorically to the Park family, we also see how similar to a real life parasite, the effects get worse as time goes on. The same situation occurs with how they manage to get their way inside. First of all, it's, you know, a recommendation. Then it's a thing. Then it's the panties. Then it's trying to make it look like the housekeeper has TB. Like, we're really stepping it up to, like, you know, there, there's no time to waste kind of thing. Like, we've, we've got work to do, and um, we got to get in the door. But one kind of thing that I wanted to get your thoughts on was um, interesting how... It's almost like that the epitome of the fight for survival, the survival of the fittest, that no matter your standing or whatever you've done, whatever you're guilty of, so to speak, um, it's, it's weird how they have this mindset of that they're better than others because they don't do certain things. And the one thing that kind of stuck out for me early on is when they tried to get rid of the housekeeper in order to bring in the mother and they kept highlighting like a real disdain for her saying things like, Oh, she's treating this house as if it's her own, which (laughs) has like a beautiful irony later on. Um, And that, you know, she eats enough for two. And and I think at that time that is delivered, like for me and Callis looking at it and going, Oh, that's just like a, maybe a bit of a backhanded (laughs) comment. But then when you find out, you go, Oh my God, of course (laughs) that makes so much sense. And um, I, I just think like, as I was going through it, the kind of <laughs> the English literature student in me was like being dragged out. And I was seeing so many kind of, you know, changes and, and evidences to support certain sides of the story, but it was just, I really enjoyed having to watch this again, you know? 
Yeah, that's a uh, that's interesting because you I didn't really realize that they were saying those things and I didn't connect the dots until sure thing, you just yeah. said that because it's like oh yeah they did say that she was eating for two and yeah very interesting uh, <laughs> love that a lot actually uh, yeah so there's there's lots of really like interesting things like the first major kind of sign of this for me was when the housekeeper came back. Uh, to re- retrieve something from the basement. Uh, <laughs> and um, it was only that when, um, you know, she's being greeted um, with, with quite literally a deeper parasite, you know, and we're seeing that not only is there a parasitic level within the kind of situation anyway, but there is literally within the house um, that, you know, these parasites, the new ones are on ground floor. There's a deeper parasite in the sub sub basement yeah. And the family who were the host essentially are on the top floor. So can you see how like the layering of status is still ever present throughout the entire film? Um, and I think that we've particularly seen this as well when the original housekeeper is pleading with uh, the mother, calling her sister and sis, and uh, that they are <laughs> fellow members of the needy. And it's very much like a hierarchical uh, situation until she realizes that they're the same and you know they're very quick to think that each other are scum for what they've done right yeah. <laughs> the shoe yeah. quickly falls to the other foot oh then, like, most the other really, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah let's let's rewind a little bit and talk about how yes. the family infects the sure. um the park family gets infected by uh the parasitic other family because it starts out pretty you know, pretty normal, like a tutor, you know, getting mm-hmm. some money. And you almost feel like, yeah, after the tutor and after the sister gets the job as the um, art therapist, like you feel like, oh, they got to be getting enough money to not worry sure, about yeah. whatever. But um, as most parasites do, they take more and more and mm. eventually they take too much and they get found out or discovered or whatever. And that's kind of mm. how it goes in this movie where, you know, the, the sister gets the job, but the art therapist as an art therapist and she's able to fib her way through that. And then the dad comes in as the driver, you know, because the yeah. other driver gets fired, you know, let go because of the um, the panties in the back seat. And, <laughs> you know, he, he kind of starts a repertoire with with the with uh, Mr. Park. And then yep. um, finally, you know, they were able to force the um, the original house lady out, which. I honestly that that scene where he pours the the hot sauce on the uh, napkin yeah. or whatever like yeah. that's like like one of the best sequences in cinema history in my opinion yeah. like that's such a, <laughs> it's such a well done sequence of events and finally um, the mother gets in and is now the housekeeper it's, and you think like at that point like okay what's gonna go wrong you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so so interesting too how like in a previous scene they did show like him pouring the the hot sauce packet on like a pizza or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like you think nothing of it, but like it just comes back in such a significant way. Uh, yeah, like you said, some something seems innocuous, and <laughs> it actually proves to be the uh, the crashing domino, you know. So uh, did everyone else like how they uh, got the family intertwined into the Park family? I think what was like a really interesting component is part of my brain, like I, I'm one of those people that like, as I've gotten older, I enjoy the, um, uh, almost like the drama of a film and, and a TV show. If I believe it's too, like too good to be true. Do you know what I mean? Like realistically, come on, man, what are the chances of this, you know, actually kind of 
you know, happening realistically. Um, and then you tend to realize that the, the phrase for parasite, you can see how the family are starting to become, you know, part of, of this, this new setup. But then you kind of realize that the the Park family, the rich family themselves are also parasitic because they're using these people to quite literally do every component of their lives. Hmm. Yes, and that's kind of like brought to a brought to the top at the end of the movie when mm. um, Kim realizes that like, oh yeah, he, he doesn't care about us. He doesn't care about anything that's happening here. He's just caring about his own family, right? Yeah. Um, and at that point, like Mr. Park doesn't realize that, you know, that's his family, you know, who are bloodied and beaten. Of course. Right. But, you know, I, I still believe like, you know, and also like the building, like, oh, Miss, you know, Kim is stinky. You know, he smells of old radishes or whatever. Like there's a building <laughs> of that, too. And, you know, just the, how he's being forced to do like the, you know, Indian thing with, mm-hmm. with his son. Like, you know, it, it, like, there's that boiling point. And that's like, you know, we, we talk about rising action and like a, a good conclusion a lot totally. on this podcast, especially with Jackie Chan movies, <laughs> because a lot of times they have that rising action and then nothing happens after that. So this movie actually is a perfect example of like a rising action to that main con, like the main action and then climax yeah the climax and then it has like that resting phase where it's like and here's the outro of the movie and it just it rolls so smoothly it really does Hmm. yeah we'll talk about that uh the ending later but um like the thing i wanted to mention which uh p2 mentioned like super quick but like the music just fits so well with like everything that's happening there's like times where like the violin would come in with like just like a single long extended note and it's like sounds very ominous mm. and then like the beginning of the movie there's like this a certain song that i think it plays a couple times through the movie but it reminds me of like a Zelda dungeon song that's like i don't know how to describe it it's like kind of very gloomy and uh and ominous i guess but it was like it's like yeah like we can tell something is going on like it, it's considered a dark comedy and it does mm-hmm. have like certain funny elements like, oh, yeah, this is like very entertaining to watch to see them like infiltrate this family in this way. And the situation is like kind of funny, but it's also kind of dark. And this music is like yeah. making things very tense, but you still don't know why it's like so tense. I, I, I like how it, it, it accompanies the scene as opposed to like overpowering it and like taking mm. control of it. Um, but like you said, it's, it's that dark humor that... You know, even in like these really testing, difficult, you know, in, intense moments in their lives, there's still like an, like the way that it was delivered as well, just like maybe like a, a slight comment or a certain action or something like that. And one of the moments that I found myself outwardly laughing and <laughs> maybe expose myself as a little psychotic here is <laughs> the... Um, <laughs> The, this, the scene where, uh, I don't want to give too much because obviously we'll go into it a little bit. Uh, the scene where he, a, a certain someone gets hit in the head um, with a particular rock. And um, then we see uh, the, the, the rock being thrown again. Dwayne. And ex- expecting to like almost, <laughs> um, you know, a, a cutaway scene or a change of angle or something like that. But we see it fully fledged. <laughs> and all yeah. we see is then the twitch of the hand <laughs> i just thought that like that is so well done it's not like outwardly like in your face it's very subtle and i just think that the way that everything was done was 
you have to look for it. And I think that's the point of a parasite, isn't it? Is even on these kind of aspects, you still need to look, you need, you need to look deeply what's going on there. But I just thought that, that scene in particular, ah, oh, made me laugh out loud. <laughs> well, yeah, I definitely did not laugh in that scene. <laughs> I felt like it was very, yeah, uh, a very visceral scene. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't find myself laughing, um, <laughs> but that's not the like. I didn't even know it was it was labeled as a dark comedy. Like, I I, I, I can see, see where like the humor like... would kind of sink in. You know, like when the lady's like trying to push the bookcase and she's, you know, has her feet against the wall and her hands against the bookcase and yeah. she's just trying to push it. Like, I can see where you know maybe it could be a little funny here or there, but I didn't find myself laughing throughout the movie. I did, I, but I did find myself with a lot of unease. You know, throughout mm. the movie, a feeling Ooh, of yeah. maybe a little bit of tension, you know, um, anxiety, I guess you would say, as, as mm-hmm. the movie went along. Yeah, I, I didn't since you said comedy. I was like, really? Um, because like at the end, you know, what's comedic about that? You know, like the end <laughs> oh, yeah, is very <laughs> serious. He got, he got like, skewered by the that? barbecue stick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the flying kick <laughs> to the other <laughs> housekeeper. <laughs> yeah, the flying The back um, kick yeah, so I she goes flying. <laughs> I thought yeah. the movie, uh, it was definitely dark, but I thought it was mm. dark and intense and like uh, Yummy said, anxiety almost kind of thing because mm. you're like, how's his family going to do this, you know? But I thought it was very dark and intense movie throughout the whole thing. Yeah, especially the part where they're hiding underneath the table and oh, the husband days. and wife are like right there. Yeah. And like, of course, that's the moment when like my other half comes into the room and starts watching the movie with me. Oh, and I'm like, course. hold on, this this it's, it's just it's on. not that kind of movie, I swear. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, uh, I think that's that's kind of sums everything up perfectly. And I noticed at that time um of the set the section where they were going for their uh, camping trip is the perfect um components of pathetic fallacy of obviously the, the sun is obsessed with the walkie-talkies and i noted that he said oh there's no rain clouds above and you notice that as the family then spend time in this house and the time uh goes on the, sc- the sky starts to grow darker and more seriousness and you can see that the forecast in the weather is also the forecast for their issues and i think that when it kind of then culminates that you know the thunderstorm starts when the family talk about what room that they would take if it was their house Mm. and it kind of like culminates perfectly of this is now you're in the storm right now you're in the problem like this is you're in the you know the eye of the storm here and um i still i i like the fact like how tense it was i found myself after the scene you could you know feel yourself almost unravel and you're like, oh my god, how long have I been like holding myself like that? You know, as they're under the table, as the most awkward sex scene I think I've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life. Especially when she's almost like role playing as a poor person. <laughs> like, well, yeah, I, um, yeah, <laughs> very fucking weird. Um, but like, like you said, I think that that scene encompasses how beautiful I think this movie is cinematically shot. And the one thing that I kind of wanted to point out, and I don't know if you noticed, is in that scene where they start to run away, um, not only is every angle is them going down. So they're going back down to like mm. their societal status, right? They're going down. Yeah, and as they, you notice as they run down a particular part of um, one of these roads, the camera zooms in on the drain, almost as if everything that they've got, everything that they've earned is now going down the drain, is being wasted. Um, and I noticed that they only start to sort of feel like they could talk about their morality when they're closer to the level that they're normally at. 
Um, so most of the time you, on these scenes, you see them running away from that. And closer to their level is when they then start to discuss, what's the plan? What are we going to do? Um, and I think that that's like a beautiful kind of um, symmetry compared to where they are in, in terms of themselves. And we see a bit more of that when it comes to like the ending of the film as well. I just want to clarify. She was role playing as um, the woman in the back seat of our <laughs> shouting. Um, you need to buy me drugs is a little bit weird. <laughs> well, he even wanted her to like the wear the, the very underwear. weird. And I'm like, that's. This is, I mean, look. I mean, we we know it just throughout history that people with a lot of money tend to have some weird kinks, and here we are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking, going back to dark. I'm speaking of like, kinks, P two is my kink. What? Whoa. Um, <laughs> Whoa. Uh, like visually, like I thought the movie was dark too. Like I was like mm. trying to like I was like, is it just my eyes or is this movie just dark? <laughs> Not like you know, like story wise dark. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. like no Visually? lighting effect kind of dark. I I didn't notice. Like the only times when I noticed was like really dark is when they started heading into like the sub basement. Like, there was just, like, when they started going down the stairs, it's just complete blackness and couldn't see anything anymore. Yeah, I feel like halfway through the movie, when, when things start to go wrong, that's when the movie becomes dark in in the lighting sense. I feel like before that, as P2 was saying before, like, it's very bright, you know, it's almost optimistic, you know, at times. Um, and then as the family descends into even more parasitic natures, talk, you know, like he said, talking about moving into the house, that's when it, like, really starts to become dark and you know, it starts raining and it really doesn't get light again until um, the resolution of the story when, mm, yeah. you know, everyone's kind of is like, yeah, we're fine. You know, we're, we're, we're on the straight and narrow, I guess. Now. <laughs> We've moved on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very, uh, very like interesting kind of theme throughout the entire thing, which is quite nice. But I, I kind of, I get where you're coming from though, Greedy, because I think that they do kind of, um, like sight the the sunbeams coming through the windows quite often, um, almost as if like that's the only you know beacon of light, beacon of hope that they've had. Yeah, I mean, I kind of get it because as we talked about earlier, you know, the movie is dark, you know, uh, story wise, yeah. and as it progresses into it, uh, it does get dark, and then at the end, you know, when you know all the all the fun, I guess you can say, uh, happens. Um, it's like daylight. So yeah, totally. Yeah, that's quite interesting, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I, I. To be honest, I've even I'm going through my notes and I kind of noticed noticed that. Um, is obviously in, in that scene, their home's been flooded, right? So there's obviously a lot of, you know sadness for them you know it's even showing that the ones that maybe we consider to have nothing in terms of our protagonists they still have something to lose you know and there's a, a clear look on mr kim's face of being absolutely devastated that his home is gone you know um and saying to his children um because they keep asking well you know what's the plan what's the plan and almost like dystopian he goes you know what plan never fails not having one and, you know, you, you can't fail. You can't, you know, there's nothing unexpected if you don't, you know, you can't plan for something and be upset by it if you, you know, didn't plan in the first place. And 
I think that it kind of epitomizes the mindset of the lower classes in this film of where everyone who is in that lower class is like similar to we see the mirroring of you know the drunkard at the beginning you know using their home as a as a urinal <laughs> and <laughs> and and that being mimicked with him doing it again later on in the film and they try to replicate the behavior of Min but also the fact that their home then gets flooded by sewage water you know and i think that that kind of shows that there's always a, a bad situations um and with zero movement if you see what i mean but I, I said, especially after that thunderstorm, you know, that glorious sunshine is greeting everybody. Um, but it's only shining on the rich. Hmm. You had mentioned uh, Mr. Kim's faces. And uh, I love his his expressions, especially when, you know, someone's talking about his stink. Oh, and, yeah. Like his, his expressions are like so subtle, but you can like clearly tell how much it bothers him. <laughs> totally. The, the to irony the, to of the breaking the stench. At the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I, I thought, especially in that scene there, where obviously he's been, um, you know, dressed up as a, as a, the Indians, <laughs> almost you know, <laughs> culturally offensively, um, <laughs> to show that the only thing that, like, more only like value that connects them still is, is money. Um, and when he's going, oh, you know, you you love your wife and you're trying your best and all this kind of stuff, and then Nathan is Mr. Park is going well, you'll get paid extra for this. Like, think of it as part of your job. And it's like, you, you, like you're missing the point. Do you know what I mean? And I think that, that was kind of like a realization for Mr. Kim there, is realizing that, you know, the, the, the resentment that he's growing is just as smelly as he is to them. Um, and I think that that kind of shows perfectly because in those kind of scenes, you see that Kevin is also asking, do I fit in here? Do I belong in this setting? Mm. Um, and I think all of them almost tend to get like this, almost like an epiphany of what are we doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, going back to, um, his acting like song Kang Ho, right? Yep. He was, uh, the weird in the good, the yeah. bad, the weird. So, you know, seeing him in that performance, like the last, the last time I've seen his performance, like it's a, it's a very, um, very uh, right turn, you know, that happens yeah. between that character and, and this one that he's playing. And, you know, in, in the weird, like, I, you know, when, you know, I felt like he did a great job in that one, too. But, I mean, this one just kind of knocks it out of the park. And I know he was in Snowpiercer, too, but I don't remember what character he was. I think he was the father trying to get his daughter off the train, but I can't really remember what he was like. But, you know, th this is like this is like peak acting, too, for him. Mm. And, and a lot of the characters, too. Like, there's a lot of characters doing their absolute best here. And, as I said at the beginning, like it just feels so natural. It really does. Every yeah. every everything that's happening, just you know, maybe maybe it's a little bit more exaggerated. You know, being skewered by a barbecue stick or whatever it is, <laughs> but it's, it still it still feels very real. You know, completely completely agree. And like you said, like when I was doing my research on this, especially for like the actors, a lot of the times their main bio kind of highlights that this is the the role that they're most notable for. Which makes sense. It, it, I mean, yeah, totally. Everyone in here is just the star of the show. Like even even the kid. Like I was like, wow, they actually yeah. got a kid who actually can act. And <laughs> I mean, I know he was just being a kid, but still, it's like you know, he was he wasn't like you 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 see this kid in the movie, and a lot of times they stand out like a sore thumb. You know, you think of Rumble in the Bronx that we just talked about. 
Mm-hmm. Greedy was 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 madly upset about <laughs> yes. this kid, and it's like in this one you don't really even you know you you, you just see him as a kid in the, in the movie. You know he's he's acting sure, but I mean he he fits naturally just like everyone else, which is nice because a lot of times kids bring movies down, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the kid, real quick, um, I was I had a question because like uh, so when the guy in the basement was doing the the colorful help. And like the kid's mm-hmm. side from the, his tent outside, and he was like writing it down. They made a point to show the notebook, like even the day, the morning after, they like show a glimpse of that notebook. And I thought something was going to come after that, but like nothing mm-hmm. ever did. So I was wondering, yeah, I so like, too. is that maybe something I, I, yeah, that they I were get supposed you. to? Yeah, I think maybe, maybe they cut if... out later. Well, potentially, I would. Yeah, it might be something to sort of look into. But maybe it could have just been the the setting for what we find out later on. Hmm. I mean, could be, but at the same time, it was not really needed for that. I don't yeah, think. almost like a loose end. Yeah. Yeah. It just it may, like, may, yeah. Like I figure something, to... someone's going to discover that notebook and see the help me message or whatever. Mm. Yeah, or, may, or maybe it was just setting up the Morse code thing for later, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, but yeah, I, I was really but... hoping that something would have come about with, the, with that section, because I think yeah, it would be the... really fun for the kid to maybe adventure down into the basement himself and and see that the ghost wasn't really a ghost. But, you know, the way that it ends there, obviously it's a bit dark, but, you know, it, it, all, it all works. <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like, the, the Morse code thing, I feel like, was perfectly set up without having that scene thrown in with the kid writing yeah. that down. So okay. it's like, I don't know, it was, like, not neat at all. Yeah, like how he was, like, turning on the lights as Mr. Park went up the stairs to thank him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, um, like, I think that was kind of like one of the darker um, parts of the movie, really, is where you realize that everything that they've kind of taken for granted of these, in quotes, automatic sensors are at the heart of it still being controlled by another human being. Which is funny because Snowpiercer also is kind of like that, where the kid is the one, like, not really controlling the train, but making sure the train continues running. Hmm. Which is which is kind of, it's kind of the same theme there almost yeah <laughs> and maybe that's that's like the main thing that uh, Bong is trying to sort of highlight really is uh, the fact that the things that we want <laughs> still need a human touch maybe <laughs> I don't know but um I kind or of that the, in... or that the, we shouldn't take what we have for granted because there's yeah. someone lower you know who yeah. is in a lower class who is physically having to make these or makes or you know have you know do make sacrifices for those products yeah. to be in your hands yeah. And I think that last what kind of comment that I made here was that everybody in that house at that time is just blissfully ignorant and unaware of anything that's going on. Right. And uh, to like even the beautiful scene of where the the husband comes out blade in hand and <laughs> nobody knows he's there. And he even stops for a minute because he's blinded by the sun. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> and looking out there, you're like, oh my god, like nobody has a clue what's going on here. Um, but I, yeah, I just found that very, very funny. Yeah, there was, there was a couple of scenes like that where like, where's your peripherals, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, how do you not notice a man with like his face is covered in blood? Like what? <laughs> or like when they wake up, uh, when his, when their son's in the tent by the walkie talkie and oh. the dad's just laying there and his feet are just like in the light. <laughs> if they had moved him up just yeah. an inch more, it would have been a little bit more believable. 
<laughs> yeah, just the fact that Dad didn't even look around the room to see a person lying down. Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, that scene was very funny. <laughs> I mean, I guess the kid had just shown the light in their faces, so maybe there was like a little bit. I think, had, I think their eyes hadn't adjusted yet. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, dear me. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't take me out of the movie, but it is something that I think yeah. about afterwards where I'm like, oh, he, he probably could have been moved up a little bit more. Maybe have the light shine a little bit less on his feet so they're not like glaring in your face yeah. in, in those wide shots, you know? Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Oh, dear me. <laughs> so, shall we go ahead and talk about the, uh, the climax of the movie? Sure thing. And all the madness that happens. <laughs> yeah. The best party ever. Well, first of all, I want to start this off by saying how, like, I love how that rock that's given in the beginning just, like, Dwayne? Almost, yes. <laughs> almost become, a, like, a character part of the movie. It's, like, so yeah. important. Just keeps getting brought up. And, like, the kid is just so attached to it and eventually becomes his downfall. Mm. Like the uh, the key to his happiness, and he was gonna then obviously go to use it as a murder weapon. Also, yes. the key to sort of get out of his predicament. Either way, um, I think it, yeah, very very interesting to say. Like I I wrote it down as it became like almost like an omen for them. Mm. Um, but the fact that like seeing it as a character as well is brilliant because it it is ever present. You know, so yeah, nice job, Carlos. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Finally, it is something right. <laughs> Rock totem to murder everyone. Well, not <laughs> but yeah, it was like the the first time that the guy just threw the rock at the kid's face, at the kid's head. Like they didn't show anything. I was like, okay, yeah, they're probably gonna show the after effects, and that that was it. But then that second scene where he threw it the second time, wow! Ah, <laughs> oh, incredible. He's still not... giggling about it. He, he, it really I, it's one of those. Things, I, I think it's because it's one of those things of where like the the. The naive part of my brain was going, oh, they're not going to show this. It's going to cut away. And it's you just going to have... I was thinking the same thing. I maybe like arterial was... splatter or something like yeah, that. Yeah, like, you know. sound, but don't show it. <laughs> but the fact... <laughs> the fact that it fully showed the hit as well and then followed by the twitch, and I just thought, wow, that's like very savagely delivered and <laughs> so well by both characters as well of where the husband seems to have like zero interest or acknowledgement for what he's just done. <laughs> just like carries on as if like you know he's just taking the trash out for example well, he's taking revenge you know? oh yeah definitely he killed definitely. his wife so. and it's it's so weird how he has like this creepy smile on his face like most of the, most of the time well, mm. yeah, what I was what I was expecting to happen is because of the blood on his face kind of makes him look like he has like that Native American paint on it Ooh. and I was thinking maybe you know he would like attack during like the, the fight scene or something and kill the dad or someone but that's not how it went yeah, you know, but I mm-hmm. thought I was thinking that the whole time, like he had that blood smeared on his face, <laughs> or maybe he's just a fan of the Joker. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the Joker. Also, what what is that, that blood? <laughs> what is that blood looks so fresh and red, even though like he got it in the previous night? Mm. Good point. Because the makeup artist um, put it on, applied <laughs> it to him. <laughs> Fourth wall broken, <laughs> or he was just continuously bleeding. Uh, but that's a lot that's... of lost blood, <laughs> yeah. especially well, for the he head. Was, he was slamming his head against the uh, Morse yes, code. Yes, he button. was. 
So, yeah, I'm wondering if maybe he just kept reopening wounds on his face because there was like older blood that you could kind of see on the sides and mm-hmm. the fresher blood was in the middle. So maybe maybe that's what they were going for was like he was really banging his head on that thing the whole the whole night. And then finally, you know, when the sun came down, he had his chance and took it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's uh, or he just got to the point of where he had nothing left to live for. And, lose, uh, yeah. you know, the, and w- What's the point in cleaning your face? <laughs> well, yeah. But yeah, I think it, it, it was quite a, a savage um, last scene, to say the least. Um, and I think that it was, it was so well done in a lot of ways because um, it's almost like when, when he grabs the knife out of the block, I was like, okay, so he's clearly going for the, the wife here. Do you know what I mean? Because she was the one who essentially delivered the kick. She was the one that... Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I didn't see the, the sister being target number one, for example. Um, yeah, he did He did scream out for, for the wife. Like, after he stabbed the sister, he was, like, looking very for true. the wife. Yeah. Um, but I just think that it is, it's incredible, that even in that moment. Obviously, the husband has, like, a very severe, profound respect for Mr. Park. Um, even though you could almost argue it's unjustified, seems Mr. Park has no idea who this person is or the fact he's been living, you know, two floors beneath him for the last four years. Um, but the, the fact that when, uh, obviously the son is having that mirrored experience, isn't he of, you know, that the cake is the birthday party, seeing the ghost, um, the fact that the family are more concerned with that as opposed to people quite literally being stabbed and, and killed. Um, <laughs> and the, the ultimate, you know, savagery of, you know, the husband sh- shouting respect to Mr. Park, who needs to get his key and so quite literally lifts him up um, despite being stabbed by like a kebab skewer. Um, just to get his keys, and he's more annoyed that you know that the guy stinks so right. badly, <laughs> rather right. than going, "Oh my god, I should help you." <laughs> you know, I think at the moment you can sort of you you emotionally connect to Mister Kim in a much stronger way that maybe you've become disassociated with as the movie's been going on, of where you're going, mate, you're gonna get what you deserve here to an extent. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the, the sequence of events is. It's crazy when you first see it or you watch it in time in the real time. Mm. Um, and on reflection, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you know, because I was I was wondering, like, why would he why would he stab Mr. Park? Like, I mm. understand that, like, but at that point, his facade is still up. Like, he could be fired, you know, <laughs> for trying to help, you know, the random woman dead bleeding out on the ground. But at that point, his facade is still kind of there, and you could tell like Mr. Park was like really annoyed with him, and he was probably going to fire him anyways or something like that. Mm-hmm. Why did he stab him? That's that's my question. I think it was like the 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 straw that broke the camel's back is f- almost feeling like mocked, out of place, you know, disjointed. And I think that when even your situation, like humanity, should kick in. You know, and he, and he's telling him to go and drive the car whilst somebody is quite literally dying on the grass, um, irrespective of it being his daughter. I think that is going to naturally make you look at someone differently. And I think that the the overall exaggerated, you know, hold the nose, I can't even stomach your smell um, mindset comes into it. But I think that, you know, symbolically, it shows quite literally the parasite killing the host. Hmm. 
Interesting. Because I was confused by it too. I was like, why did Mr. Park die? Like, all he wanted was the keys. <laughs> <laughs> it did seem like very sudden, but like on the second watch through, I was like paying more attention to like this, you know, his facial expressions every time they mentioned like how he smells and mm-hmm. just like how much it bothers him like a little bit more every time. And yeah, I guess like, like uh, P2 mentioned that's the straw that broke the camel's back and it just snapped and just reacted mm. not rationally. Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty genius of him to hide in the basement that they didn't even know about. You know, mm-hmm. that that key information that he got when he was you know talking to um what's their face, and um you know be, and and also like the lady cutting the camera cord like the night before or whatever. Of course, like yes. that played into it. It's it's so like that. I love that kind of like payoff thing. You know. Yeah. And it's not like they zoom in on the like they show the cut wire, but it's not like they zoom in on it and go, look, look, you know, it's, it's a very <laughs> subtle <like>, clue. <laughs> it's a very subtle like pan over and, you know, and, and everything kind of like comes together. It's very nice. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's like you said, it, I kind of forgot that that was like a main component. And when it kind of like panned over, I was like, ah, okay, like the wires like and even, you know, the housekeeper is saying, oh, don't worry, I cut it. So they'll never know I'm here. It was such a throwaway and, line, too. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that it kind of there's so many of those throughout the film that you kind of don't realize the significance of it until it's too late, like the early warning signs, then, so to speak. Who? But how um, long yeah, is that uh, that Morse code message that he? Oh my! He sent days. out every <laughs> night. I mean, that was like several pages. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I love the commitment. I mean, but then yes. if if you're in a basement, I, I suppose you've got quite a bit of time on your hands, you know? Exactly. you got nothing better to but, do. <laughs> but then how frustrating would you be if you, you know, came and the, the, <laughs> just for the last line and you caught the last line and that was it? <laughs> yeah, see you. That was the last thing yes. you said. Take, take care. Like, oh. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> okay. He's given up and then you never go back. <laughs> yeah, I like how they set up like, you know, his son has a plan at the end of the movie, right? He wants to oh, you know, go to college, so make money, and buy the house. Yeah. But, you know, that, that little scene that happens, you know, it's too good to be true, right? He buys the house and his dad comes yeah. out and they hug. That's And when it flashes back to his son, I'm like, oh, he's just dreaming about this. He oh, wants this to happen. So whether it's going to happen or not is up in the air. Yeah. I guess we have to wait for Parasite 2. <laughs> but then how, how beautiful is that? Because, you know, similar to what I, I mentioned earlier was, he said, Dad, I made a plan today. Yeah. You know, and mm. like uh, if we're following them from the advice of what his dad says, he knows that that, that plan's not going to come true. Oh, that's true. Oh, like, brutal. But like, I think, you know, the, 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 everything is written so well. Like, it's so, um, what, how do you, like, it's so, um, like, connected to the way I think a lot of people feel and think that. One of the scenes that kind of stood stood out for me was when they were talking um, about the family when they were away on their camping trip. And they're talking about how naive they are as a family. And, you know, Mr. Kim says, oh, she's rich, but she's still nice. As if that they are like, you know, opposite things. And the wife kind of, um, you know, contradicts that by saying she's nice because she's rich. And if I had all of this money, I'd be nice too. And I think that like it's a be- like everything that is kind of mentioned just shows that the main nucleus is that money runs everything, and that everyone could be nice if they had it, you know. 
it's True. easy to be generous and kind when you don't need it. Or when you have so much of it that you don't know what to do with it. Ex yes, exactly right. But yeah, when I when they first showed that scene where it shows the kid like buying the house and then like being in the yard and the dad walking so out, cruel. I was like, wait, so much of this scene doesn't make sense. Like, first of all, he still looks very young. So how could he have acquired so much money so quick? What do you and mean? Then... He has a different hairstyle, bro. Come on. <laughs> yeah, he's got the uh, he's got the end of Squid Games. You know, dyed my hair red, <laughs> and now I'm a hero. You know. Yep. You can't get a new hairstyle equals older. Everyone knows this. Right. Right. Yes. Of course. <laughs> and then how how did the dad know to come up at like that at that exact moment? Like when they didn't even you know, make themselves known that they were there or I don't know. Mm, like yeah. so much didn't make sense. But then I was like, they cut back to the kid. I was like, oh, he's just dreaming this whole day, time. Yeah, because he doesn't sense. know what his dad's going to look like in how many years, you know. So mm. he thinks about his dad and he think he sees the dad he saw that same day when they got split apart, you know. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, like he actually kind of even looked a little bit different, too. He kind of looked more like his friend. You know, he was wearing like the. Yes, yeah, like the, he had almost like the same hairstyle. He's wearing like a very similar outfit. So he mm. saw himself as a, his successful friend who was yeah. venturing out and making money, you know. I think that like that's an interesting point because there's a similar situation where I think it was when they were running back to their home when uh, the torrential rains were going. And he asks, um, what would Min... I've been wondering, what would Min do in this situation? And... It's like why? Why is he the barometer of your success and morality? You know, yeah. And the greatest of then, like the, his sister going, he wouldn't even be in this situation. <laughs> what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. I, I, I think that's, that's an interesting point there. The fact that he, you know, he's wanting to emulate his own version of what he thinks success is. Um, yeah, but I, I found that kind of end scene so heartbreaking. Um, and I don't know why, cause like on, on the surface, you shouldn't really feel like sympathy. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a lot of kind of situations where they've clearly been very, you know, manipulative and very evil in a lot of ways, you know? Um, <laughs> and I think the fact that they got off very, very lightly, <laughs> I'm a little bit like, Ah, I, I conflicted with with the ending kind of um, montage of you know I'm going to go to uni, I'm going to get money, I'm going to get the house, and we're going to be a happy family again. Um, it's kind of merged in well of where it's like the rug is pulled from under you again. I think just very very well done. It's crazy that they just got probation from. That's that absolutely thing. insane when you think about <laughs> it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I mean, technically, what did they do wrong other than forging <laughs> documents? Go on. And pretending to be who they weren't. Pretending and harboring people and kidnap. Do and they arrest children in the street for pretending to use swords? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> when, you're, when you're sword fighting as a kid, do the, the police officers drive up and be like, you're under arrest for using weapons? No. I mean... Well, I mean, the kid, those kids swinging stories aren't like taking money from the rich. While doing that, so. Yeah, no, they're getting paid. They're getting paid to do a job. What's wrong with that? Uh, it's okay. under false pretenses, but I mean, you can't. I mean, it's just a, it's just a little white lie here or there, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, well, lie that resulted in how many deaths here and there? <laughs> 
Judge Yemi residing, everyone. Are the police going to show up at my mom's house because they said Santa was real? (gasps) (laughs) Wow, that's 10 years. Let's let's not go there, Yemi. Let's not go there. But in all honesty, yeah. I, I I think I think this the I think the sentence is a little bit light um, <laughs> for what yeah. they did. Just, I mean, just, I'm just a bit. I, I'm just being facetious here, um, of course. But yeah, it, it's a it's a you know just a couple years probation. You know, um, you kind of a, you kind of expect a little bit more, maybe some jail time. You know, at, at I mean the one the one kid he has to have some sort of brain damage too. So like his plan to go to uni, I feel like might be foiled because you know may, maybe. Uh, Maybe he's not able to learn as well with with how his how his head was hit like twice by a rock, you know. Oh, he's fine. He just laughs at everything now. It's it's fine. <laughs> he just giggles at his rights being said to him. Um, <laughs> it's like bizarre because I when I was kind of reading up on this, um, one of the main things that they said about Kevin was that he's intelligent but lacks the kind of vigor to complete examinations. Um, very specific in terms of his character development, um, but maybe like the the rock laying the smackdown has actually you know benefited <laughs> him, I guess. <laughs> the rock laying. I swear to you, compensation for now. Yeah, he has a disability because of his head injury. You know, but uh, yeah, I think that. The fact that, you know, they've started and ended the movie in the exact same location is um, that kind of surmises the entire story realistically. Uh, You know, nothing's changed. They haven't they haven't developed. They haven't grown. And um, they're still living those kind of dreams of what they could do in the future. You know, making the plans that uh, they won't do. Probably won't do. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so i'm just going to open the door here for anyone to say anything does anyone have anything truly negative to say about the film hmm. i'm just opening the door if you got anything to say i see the door um i don't think there's anything interesting behind it yeah same for you there's nothing that kind of particularly shone I think, like you said, the one, the scene where he's like, he's like lying on the ground, um, I think stands out more than it should because the rest of the film is so well done um, that that would probably be my only bugbear, but that is even clutching at straws, to be honest. Yeah, I I like the way that the film is written, but there are a few like missed opportunities, I feel like, that are in this movie, you know, like the Morse code thing and. Um, the guy with paint on his face. I feel like they maybe mm-hmm. could have done a little bit different with him, like joining in on like um, the you know the the action cow- scene cowboys versus Indians thing that they were going to go for. But other than yeah. that, like I don't feel like that's enough to like make me hate this movie or something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. I th- I think maybe like it was a little bit mindful that it was already two hours plus. Um, so how many more people would want to endure potentially in like another twenty minutes just to tie up? A very, very, very tiny loose end, you know? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We open the door for criticism. <laughs> so no, su- no surprises, okay, folks? We try and get it all out there. <laughs> all right. Um, are there any other points that, you, that anyone wants to bring up before we uh, give our rating and review? Final thoughts, I should say? <laughs> 
Um, not from me. I think I've put up everything I wanted to bring up. Goody. And good. All right. So, uh, P2, you know how it works. Rating yes, out of five and just a little little final thoughts for us. Okay. So, final thoughts. <clears throat> um, this film is absolutely incredible from every facet, every component, every area. Um, the writing, the casting, the cinema, everything's beautifully shot. The locations are fantastic. And I think that there's a very clear, subtle, but also direct message done throughout. Um, I think that the music is the, you know, the bow on the top of the present. There's so much symbolism that you can pick so much out of this that I'd be very surprised that this isn't on some sort of uh, school syllabus in years to come. Um, <laughs> but I think that overall, I, I can't consider a film where I've watched and everything is so well done. Um, so it's five stars out of five for me. All right. Yeah, when I when I uh, rated this movie on Letterboxd, I didn't really know what to say. Yes, yeah, it was yesterday that I did this, so it's not like I've been waiting a week thinking about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, amazing, you know, incredible acting, great cinematography, uh, amazing and intricate themes throughout the entire movie. You know, things that I wasn't even thinking about brought up here. You know, that also elevates the movie as well. Some missed opportunities here or there, but nothing too egregious that I would that I would say would would lessen the experience for me or and maybe anyone else. And um, yeah, I mean the real standout here is just the writing and the the, the cinematography being at at its best. And um, you know, I, I love Snowpiercer, but I mean this was definitely um, was definitely better than than Snowpiercer. And I gave that a five out of five, so I got to give this one a five out of five as well. Of course. Um, yeah, the story is phenomenal. Um, it was, was fantastic. Um, the ending is definitely worth it, watching it um, for the first time. I would love to watch it again sometime down the road. Um, as I we said previously, didn't know what we are getting ourselves into. Like, originally, they need to do a better like job of advertising. Um, also, I meant to ask during the podcast uh we talk about it later it's the black bars on everyone's eyes uh in the like the pictures and all that i don't understand that but i think i kind of know but i want your guys opinion after we do our ratings um great it, i do agree with you i mean some missed opportunities but it's not enough to like make it like horrible movie you know um but i'm gonna give it a four out of five what all right <laughs> Um, real quick, I think those like black bars across their eyes is sort of like a like a redacted thing. I think mm-hmm. it's meant to symbolize how they're seen like in this totally normal situation, but there's like something sinister behind it, you know, which mm-hmm. totally was the case as we've seen from the movie. That's what my mm-hmm. opinion is. I'm not 100% sure. But um, yeah, like you guys said, this is a fantastic movie. Uh, I enjoyed watching, even though it was my second time watching. I, you know, I still ended up enjoying it a lot, like getting a little bit more out of it than I did the first time. And like the that climax was still as shocking as ever and um, visceral. And yeah, I have absolutely no complaints about it. So yeah, I'll also give it a five by five. Alrighty, and uh, we did not get a rating or anything from Tay. 
He's currently sleeping right now, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so we'll just hear what he has to say in the next episode. Okay. Yeah, I the, the black bars was either, you know, like they die at the end or... I think it's um, more like a censorship thing. Yeah. Um, that, like in, in, there's a lot, especially in those parts of um, Asia, like Japan and things like that, there's like, they're really big on censorship laws. So I think that that's like a, a play on that of where um, you don't really know who's there, who that person is, for example, which kind of links in with the symbolism of the movie as well. They're there, but they're not there, you know? They're there, but they're not there playing swords in the street. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm calling the police on you next time I see you out there, P2. <laughs> Dang it. You got your little Nerf gun? I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Someone arrest this, this maniac. This crazy man. <laughs> okay. Um, so... Before I introduce the movie that I chose for the next episode, Callus has an announcement that he would like to make. Callus, please take it away. Thank you. Yummy. So um, this is something that I've been considering for quite a while, and I finally made my decision on it. Uh, good news and bad news. Bad news is that I am uh, retiring from Film Freaks. So get my uh, box of tissues. Hold on. <laughs> I loved my time here, but I feel like it's time for me to uh, move on to other things. I feel like my time, like I enjoy, you know, being here and reviewing movies, movies with you guys. But I feel like I have like such little free time recently with like my the like new position on my job and like so many other things going on in my life that I feel like. You know, it's time to retire. I had a great time with you guys, and it's time to move on. But the good news is that I'm still sticking around for a while longer, for another uh, five episodes, to be exact. Or is it six? Five? Anyways. Yeah, five. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, yeah, I'm doing, yeah. so I'm doing a whole other round of recommendations with all of the main cast. And then I'll do, the final episode will be episode 100. That's right. And, of course, with Callus leaving, that leaves an opening on the podcast. Um, so if anyone is interested in joining the Film Freaks crew, we are open to people who have flexible schedules, of course. Um, we usually record on Sundays. Also, you got to have at least a, a, a good mic to, 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 to talk with us and um, have the time and, and the resources to acquire movies and watch them in, in a timely manner. Those are pretty much the only re, you know rep, you know prerequisitions for the for the job here. But uh, Callus, you know we we really enjoy you being on the podcast. Obviously, this isn't your last one, so we're not going to heartfelt uh, <laughs> you know do the heartfelt thing. But we do we definitely appreciate you giving your time uh, to be on the podcast and talk with us about movies. It's been a blast. Yeah, it's been very nice being here with you guys. And of course, P2, we appreciate you coming on this episode of the podcast and talking with us about Parasite. Well, thank you for having me back on. It's always a pleasure to speak with you guys and uh, always always a good time. That's right. And uh, P2, nudge, nudge, do you you happen to know another movie that we might like to watch with you? I was having a little think of this, and um, I've got two that uh, I would like to throw into the ring. Um, I choose one. 
Okay, I will. Do you know what? Because I thought the Parasite was such a good one, I'm going to go a, a little bit of a classic, a classic from 2002. Ooh. A classic that um, <laughs> is nowhere near on the standard of Parasite, in my opinion. <laughs> and that is the Vin Diesel classic Triple X. Oh, oh, God. Wow. All right. Triple <laughs> <laughs> X. Okay. You just entered the Xander zone, list. my friends. Oh, the Xander zone. <laughs> it's on the list. Wow. And if y'all want to, you all want P2 to come back and talk about Triple X, not the porn, uh, we Dang will do it. that. I might, I might accidentally watch the wrong movie, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go on the wrong, wrong website be like, what is this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like Don't... the scene where he brings the pizza. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the lady's watering the flowers and. Get stuck in the What's going on? Stuck? Weird plumber. <laughs> <laughs> the one person gets stuck under the bed. I don't know. I don't oh, get it. In the dryer, I really like. Too. I really like the uh, the the bass track. Was bam 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 bam. You know. Yeah. The, the opening <laughs> credits was really fast. Uh, <laughs> the plot's really short, actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not much going on story-wise, but there was a lot. There was a lot going on physical-wise. <laughs> Very visceral ending. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, that's added to the list for you, P2. Thank we'll you, see, sir. We'll see how long it takes for that to get chosen. <laughs> Definitely a 180. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, it's time for me to choose a movie for the next podcast. And what we've decided to do is because un- unlike when, when Coco left the podcast, it was very like, you know, he had to go, or she had to go, and it was very sudden because the schedules changed and they weren't able to come onto the podcast on a regular basis anymore. Um, but with Callus, we actually have a buildup to it. So what we've decided to do as a celebration of Callus's time on the podcast, no. uh, we're we're going to be uh, suggesting movies that we think Callus will like. You know, so whether he does or not, that's up to him to decide. <laughs> um, but you know, uh, that's 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 the plan for the next uh, couple episodes here. And then Callus's final, you know, not final, final, but his final recommendation. He has something special planned for us. So. We'll, we'll see how that goes. But Can yes. Get straight uh, five out of fives for cows or with mm-hmm. all one picks. Well, In, we'll yeah. instead cow. of writing instead of writing the movie, I'm going to rate the pick like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to rate your choice. You can do both. You can you can rate the choice and the uh, the movie in general. <laughs> <laughs> So, Callus, I uh, I plugged in a bunch of stuff into an algorithm to decide what oh, we we were gonna play uh, watch next because I was like, you know, if I if I give like an AI chatbot all of Callus's inform like information, like you know, he's got blue hair, um, he he likes basketball, uh, he he enjoys you know these actors and stuff like that. I put it into a I put it all into like a big old bot, and I was like, Callus, what movie would you recommend? Yeah, me the scientist. But there's one there's one question that you need the answer for me right now because that will Riddle. determine what movie we watch. And that is, do you like Dags? Oh. <laughs> I love Dags. Oh, you love Dags? Yeah. All right, so we're going to be watching Air Bud from 1997, directed <laughs> by Charles Martin <laughs> Smith. Right. Uh, synopsis for this is, a lonely boy befriends a stray dog who has a natural talent for basketball, and together they experience the highs and lows of life as their friendship remains solid through a series of escapades. Obviously, Airbud has turned into like this big, like 
block, franchise like cinematic universe <laughs> but we're starting at the yes. you know, we're just going back to the beginning 1997 i felt like you know callus wow. loves a feel-good story he loves dogs you know he likes basketball you know i saw he, he uh he had pretty good tickets at the last basketball <laughs> the holy game trinity i was like this we, has got to be the callus movie um would you stars, have chosen uh, aristocrats if i had said i didn't like dogs <laughs> no i would have chosen speed oh <laughs> But anyway, we're we're watching Airbud, so get that out of your mind, Cal's. <laughs> this stars uh, Kevin Zagers, Wendy McKenna, Michael Jeter, Bill Cobbs, Eric Christmas, Brendan Fletcher, and and many many more. And of course, this Air stars Bud. the titular Airbud, who was a golden retriever. Um, so yeah, uh, you can find this on Amazon, Apple TV, YouTube, Vudu, all the different places. Um, Callus, what, what do you think? I have no idea if I've seen this movie or not. I really? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I feel like I've seen a an Airbud or two, but I don't know if it's like one of the sequels or spin-offs or or if it was the original. There's so many. <laughs> there's one where he plays <laughs> so football. Many. There's a bu- there's one where he has puppies and they all play volleyball and the universe is the universe is massive in the Airbud yes, universe. It's, I, it's a massive. This one universe. he just plays basketball, right? Yeah, he yeah. just he's just a yeah he's shooting hoops and um. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say this, but the dog actually is hitting these baskets when you watch the movie. So mm. there's no trickery. <laughs> He's actually trained to shoot baskets. Isn't that great? Nice. Well, it's a golden That's awesome. And they're easily trainable. P2, what do you think? I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I think that uh, is very interesting. And I, I'm the same as Callus. I've not seen that movie. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> the lore of Airbuds sounds um, incredible. <laughs> it is. It's very it's... deep. You know, Think of the cinematic universe as Marvel and DC have tried to build. <laughs> nothing compares third. to Airbud. No, nothing compares <laughs> okay. to Airbud. Airbud is above <laughs> all the rest. I see. I'm I'm so I'm so sorry, but I didn't realize you had such prowess in this uh, the universe of ours. <laughs> That's right. You bow bow to him. I will I will bow wow wow to him. Ooh, <laughs> hey. There you go. <laughs> so um, just looking at this list right here, uh, there are 24 movies in the Airbus Cinematic Universe. Wow. Wait, how many? 24. Jeez. From this list that I'm wow. seeing on Letterboxd here. Wow. <laughs> Do they all follow like, a similar pattern of like Airbud? Well, like, yeah, it's usually it's a usually a golden retriever doing something sport related, or one of them they go to space. Uh, <laughs> of course, okay. one of them comes. To There's space, like all yeah. these Christmas movies as well. There's it's like Space Jam in reverse. There's like a spinoff where it's a monkey too. Like, I don't okay. I don't know if this list is actually accurate. There's a lot of movies that have different names on here. The ones that have like. Airbud in the title one two three four five six seven it's about that's it's already, about that's eight a or so yeah, there's a lot <laughs> we're not watching the rest of them though we're just watching yes. the first one from 1997 they play okay? soccer baseball volleyball mm. that's right but basketball that's where he got his start <laughs> got dropped and, it, yeah. and i'm sure tay in his dreams is stirring and going Airbud, yes you know <laughs> i'm i'm pretty sure i've seen this movie but like i totally remember like zero percent of it nothing at all. well don't give it a rating for uh the the choice yet uh do that next yeah episode, yeah okay? <laughs> and if you the listener want to join in or not be spoiled for what happens in Airbud from 1997 please make sure you watch that before the next episode airs in two weeks in two weeks we'll reconvene and talk about Airbud. let's go Alrighty. is there anything else that anyone wants to mention before we end the show uh, yeah, don't forget to uh, clean your ass. Clean it good. 
Tay's not here to say it, so I had to say it. <laughs> Gabby thought it was the t- chance to be over, but nope. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe after I retire, it'll be over. Nope. We'll see. <laughs> well, uh, I am Yemi the Fert, and I've been here with... Uh, oh, shoot. Was, uh, uh, Para Waffles. Uh, Yoon Callis. And P2 the Parasite. And this has been another episode of Film Freaks with a Z. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Later. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. P2, give us a Welsh goodbye. Uh, Dabochi. Hoilvaur. Nice. <laughs>